0: My name is Rohana, and I'm the founder of Mummy Yoga and your host on the Mummy Diaries podcast. The Mummy Diaries are heart to heart, cafe style conversations about our journey into becoming mothers. We will bring you all the wisdom from their village. The mothers who have walked the path before us, the professionals who spend their waking hours caring deeply about our issues, problems and our needs during these transformative times when we are thinking about starting a family or are pregnant or being a new mother. So grab coffee and biscuit and put your feet up or put your baby in a sling, grab your headphones and enjoy this episode on a nap walk. this very first episode of the Mummy Diaries, I want to take you back to pre-Covid times in a cafe, hustling and bustling with life and conversation and chatter. This was the day we had just wrapped up the baby-wearing yoga class and we all gathered in the cafe nearby to talk about everything mothering and to just kind of get a sense of companionship that was such a big part of our studio classes then and will be as we move forward back into the studio classes but this is a conversation I recorded with Gemma. Gemma's story is very interesting but at the same time not uncommon at all. She was 39 when she was pregnant, for the first time, with her son, Eric. And here, in this very candid conversation, she talks about how she was treated because of her age and how did she go about changing the conversation from it being led by people who had age-old ideas about or... Um, about age or just kind of not appreciating that a mother needs to be part of the decision-making process and how she changed that, what did she do to empower herself and how eventually her birth story, her experience is defined by the stance that she took and the answers that she looked for. I also found the Gemma story resonates with mine. My last baby was also born after I was 40 and I went through very similar struggles and battles myself throughout pregnancy. And so I hope that if you're out there who's, you know, if you're just pregnant and you're 39, you're 40, you're 42. You will find Gemma's story very empowering, and hopefully, you will find your voice and your courage in finding the right answers for yourself.
1: <laughs> okay, so my experience is from my very first appointments. Because I was 39 at the time I got pregnant, I had induction mentioned to me from almost, not the midwife appointments, but the first appointments that I had at the hospital. I received letters for growth scans without any explanation of why I was getting them. So. Right from the beginning, my age was being mentioned as a, a key feature, the fact that I would be 40 by the time that he was born. And I think the word induction was mentioned at my first consultant appointment, which I think was probably first scan. First Did scan? you
0: have a consultant appointment because of your age? The
1: first because point. of my age. The, the only reason I had consultant appointments was because of my and how age. Was they were very different from the appointments that I had with the midwife, so when I actually I, I came shared care, so some of my appointments were done at the health center in Fortum. the rest of them were all done at the countess but because of that i didn 't consistently see one person the whole way through. The first consultant appointment was actually okay because the consultant I saw listened to me and actually directed me to the, the academic papers to read so I was able to read up on induction but it was never really mentioned as an option it was mentioned as this is what will happen purely based on your age and it was only having conversation That's vocabulary, so. the vocabulary that was being used was very much we will want to induce you so it wasn't really we, we might or what you consider what do you consider it was we will want to induce you. And it was only actually having conversations with the ladies actually at yoga where I kind of heard this well induction is it's an option, it's a choice, it's not something that has to happen. And I think for a lot of women, I know I've spoken to some other women who've been told that, Again, that we will induce you, and it's quite scary. I think yeah. for for a lot of women, it's it's a uh, you're putting your Just baby at your risk. putting your around
0: what induction is in the first place. Exactly, and there? it's it's
1: very much it's kind of well, what is this process of induction, and it's only through doing quite a lot of reading that I actually you know you can understand what the induction process is and and to really have a have an idea of what this actually means, because the meetings with the consultant they don't talk about actually the fact that the induction process is quite intensive and can actually be quite negative for the baby and I'm not anti induction in the right circumstances there are lots and lots of reasons to be induced you know gestational diabetes all of these types of things but the fact that I was 39 I was going to be 40 when he was born didn't seem like a a valid reason to be induced to me. Um, Having the consultant appointments at the hospital, each time I went, I actually saw a completely different consultant. So I didn't really end up with that continuity of care. And it wasn't until I was probably 35 weeks pregnant, I think, that I had a conversation with uh, Gemma, who actually put me in touch with the better birth midwife, Helen, at the hospital. Um, that I was able to actually talk to people about my options and my choices. And
0: you mentioned earlier that your consulting appointments were a bit different, Ooh, different. Yes. Can you, like, can you elaborate how you felt about
1: the I think the appointments I had with the midwives, or with my actual personal midwife in Frodsham, who was then the midwife who came out and saw us after Eric was born, were a lot more, they were a lot more chatty, we got a lot more out of them, I got a lot more information from them. Whereas the consultant appointments were very much, your go scan's fine, we'll see you again in two weeks. I didn't really get much information out of them. And I think because I saw a different consultant each time, there wasn't that continuity of it felt like was looking at your papers. Yes, so I, I was very much, I was my notes rather than a person yeah. to actually have a conversation with, whereas when I saw the midwife, she remembered things we'd spoken about before, and it felt more like a, a personal relationship than just being, yeah. being notes. Um, so it really took meeting the right people to actually then... Uh, get to, to talk to almost the right consultant who actually was my consultant on my notes, but I hadn't met her until I was 38 weeks. And um, she was the consultant who actually said, Yes, you're fine. We don't
0: made her change that? What made her make that decision or were the other consultants who were just carrying on?
1: Partly, um, she has a really yeah. good relationship. This is Dr. Rao has a good relationship with Helen, the better birth midwife. And I think she's also trying to change things at the Countess and, and not do the automatic... And not not automatically want to induce people just because you're going to be 40 so I think she's quite open to listening so I don't I, think this is a, a, a trust-wide thing it's a personal I think this this was a personal professional uh, she has a, a good professional relationship with Helen and is part of the whole process of trying to change uh, change things so I had a meeting with Helen at the Countess in the birthing suite and um, they looked at all my notes, talked through the fact that he was growing really well, I have really good fetal movements, um, everything was indicating that he was healthy and um, she got Dr. Rao involved and we were able to have a conversation that actually said, provided nothing changes, we're happy for this to continue. So at my 38 week growth scan was actually the consultant I saw was then my actual consultant so so dr. L and that was all signed off to say as soon as nothing changes come at 40 weeks and we'll just monitor you just to check everything's okay everything's fine so you're we're happy for you to to continue um, and to to go so uh, he actually started to turn up at 41 plus one um and then he was born at, at forty one plus two, which I think was it was the time that he was ready to be born because um he was seven pounds three when he was born, which I was forty very- weeks and forty one plus two did
0: you say? Yeah, so I didn't actually
1: have any contact with the hospital at all, um which was fine. He was I had monitoring in the day unit when I was 40 weeks and everything was happy with that. So um, obviously I had all the contacts at the hospital if I'd been concerned, but again, he had really good foetal movements so I could feel him moving all the way through. Um, And I was happy to wait. But I think that did take quite a lot of, um, in some ways courage to actually say, no, I'm happy to wait. Um, But I think it was the right call for me and a right call for him as well uh, because we were almost, I'm probably one of the few people in the world who almost exactly got my birth plan in that um, we turned up at the hospital and we were able to have the water birth that we wanted. It was uh, a very quick birth for a first time baby and it all worked the way we wanted to. We were really lucky and when we turned up at the hospital um, Helen was our shift supervisor so again she was able to say yes we're happy with this and, and sign, sign us off so that we could have the water birth and, and everything like that. But I think it was definitely a case of getting to talk to the right people and having the right conversations to then be empowered to actually say.
0: It's a combination of You having the confidence to seek out the right people from the men, don't even
1: know where to start. No, no, and I think, but also knowing that it was an option because I think a lot of the language that you hear from some of the professionals at the hospital was very much uh, this is what will happen, whereas it was being able to understand actually, you have a choice in this, this is all, you have a choice in what happens, and I would never have put either myself or him at risk. If I thought he was struggling, then yes, I'd have been absolutely, get him out, you know, or if I thought I was going to be at risk, but all of the indicators were that he was very happy, I was happy to let him go until he was ready, ready to come.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And in hindsight, knowing what you now know after the birth, what do you make of that journey of friends? in terms of could it have been, could you have had a different journey without this, dare I say, sword hanging over your head?
1: And- yeah, I, I think the early days, it was quite nerve-wracking, the whole... The whole, some of the conversations made you really quite anxious. I mean, I received all of the letters for the growth scan through the post with no, so basically a whole list of appointments from right the way through, right up until 41 weeks, that didn't, with no indication of why I'd received all of those letters. So your first thought is, there's something wrong with my baby, which is really quite, for a first time mother, it's quite scary because you know, you've waited a long time, this is this is quite something really important, um, and it, it is quite, you know, early pregnancy is quite an anxious time as it is anyway, and that really kind of compounds that and, and makes it quite anxious, and I think it wasn't until I was able to actually start having those conversations to go, well, you do have a choice about this, but I didn't really feel completely in control until I got to speak to people I don't I think you know, talking to people but my response to these things is always going to be to read because you know I, I want to read up on things and read academic papers read books read uh, relevant blogs and things like that because for me I need to have all the information and I need to read it but that's that's my personal... And that's how you got
0: through that anxious time. Yes. Yeah, how, I think so. How can I navigate these feelings yes. of anxiety yep. that are actually not self-created? It's created from the way it was handled yes. rather than what it really was. Yes. Yeah. And you read your way through and mm. thought, hang on for a minute, there's either an alternative yeah. or somebody who knows. Who knows, who knows. And,
1: and people that I can talk to yeah. to actually have a, a discussion yeah. about this. Yeah. Um, and one of my consultant appointments was probably about 28 weeks and again, a different consultant. Has anyone talked to you about induction? Yes, every single person the whole way through. So there wasn't even a consistent approach from the different consultants at the hospital. So
0: you felt like in your notes there was no mention that actually previously this lady has been told this and this and this yes, and this every time it came like a fresh thing, have you been told about
1: induction? So Maybe it was this telling. conversation that was new each time repeating it over and over again. Which again
0: um, is its own source of anxiety. It is definitely. So for women who either, you know, just like, can how, how,
1: what do you now, you know, you're
0: you're on the other side. And what what do you have to either say to them, or what can they do, or if they're in their the same position?
1: I think some of it is trust yourself and trust your body and try and get as much information as you can. I've already said, you know, I'm not anti-induction for the right reasons, but I think women need to have an understanding that this isn't what has to happen, it's there as an option if it's necessary, but if your baby is healthy, you know, if they're growing the way they're supposed to, if they're moving really well, then just being empowered to say, I don't think this is what's right for me and my baby. I mean I, I would always listen to the medical advice you know if someone was saying to me your baby is at risk
0: yeah.
1: then completely I would have, we would have been induced yeah. straight it's, away it's they're
0: having the confidence yeah. of knowing when it is a, when genuine, it is a genuine reason, reason. <laughs> and it's that's the hardest part to navigate.
1: Yeah, it is, and and knowing what's the genuine risk. The thing that amused me the most was when I did actually have the appointment with um with Dr. Al. She said, "Well, your placenta's us thirty nine which uh, did make me laugh quite a lot. It's the fact that yes, I am forty, but it was the fact that one of the one of the practitioners did actually say to me, "If your baby had been due." just before your 40th birthday you wouldn't have come under this increased scrutiny or all these scans it wouldn't have been an automatic process a funny line in the stone. a funny line the fact that oh you had the temerity to turn 40 how dare you was the fact that this suddenly triggered all of this stuff Don't that can be to affect identity as well you
0: know yeah. I mean, if if you go beyond pregnancy and motherhood yeah. the whole self identity you might feel nothing about turning for It's just yeah. life is normal. Yeah. you might even feel yeah. younger or better than you were in your thirties but someone now externally is somehow giving you this false need is is mirror saying, that's yes. saying
1: something's happening 40, to you whereas 40. i know yeah. that i coped with pregnancy yeah. better than a yeah. lot of people in their 20s I'm probably a lot fitter than lot of people in their twenties. I have a much healthier diet. Um,
0: all of these things out. I think we were all a bit don't know what we're doing in our lives in yeah. our I mean, uh, I'm, I'm pretty similar in, in, in terms of age with yep. you, and I feel, wow, <laughs> have I had my children when I 20? So yeah. so i screwed. Yeah, I couldn't
1: even we, look after myself at 20. Exactly.
0: So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that 20 is not the right age oh, for all the For people some people, help.
1: it's absolutely the yeah, right time right to start right your way. family.
0: And to understand that making the age just that. Just
1: that. Uh, in, yeah. yeah, as a key indicator, yeah.
0: is, is something that, that could be looked at differently or be given options. I yeah. will be a forty year old lady who will say, I want all the growth scans. Absolutely, I only feel better, and I want induction. Absolutely, and, yeah. and okay. for those
1: people, if that's the right choice for them, that's the right choice that's for That's not even an age thing. Yeah, yeah. we're all different. We're, we're all different, different, different and I think it's that having a choice, but saying, and obviously they've got to have some sort of cut off or indicator of why these things happen but i think it means looking at more on a case by case basis rather than a an instant you're going to be 40 therefore you must need to hit this this process whereas i think it was nice to have ghost scans and to see but it was almost in some ways it's taking up quite a lot of time and resources at the hospital that I could easily have come more under midwife care. I probably didn't need to see a consultant at every appointment I had. My partner didn't need to take time off work every other Monday to go to the hospital with me. All of these the things. Logistics. logistics. The practicality
0: yes. of the logistics of as much as that should be, it never is a concern when it comes to the health of our health and our yeah, baby. Absolutely. But you can't miss the fact that it's quite a logistical challenge. <laughs> it's quite a logistical challenge, yeah.
1: Yeah, it is. So,
0: yeah. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to share with the women who will be hearing this or anybody who will be hearing
1: this? I think it's just kind of. Trusting trusting yourself and trusting your body. For me, I wanted things to be as natural as they possibly could be. I know a lot of women who have had lots of sweeps and things like that on the run up to their, their baby's birth. Everyone's got to make their own choice about what happens and, and why they choose to do that. Um, I didn't have any sweeps and he turned up when he was ready. It was a very relatively easy labor. So what
0: we're really seeing is despite the run up to it, whatever it was, at the end of the day this is how it turned out for you and yes. you're glad that, yes. the, the yes. that you were able to know
1: for, for me it was being empowered to actually make the decisions and to know that there were there were actually people at the Countess who would listen and who would allow me to have that voice and to actually um, to know that. There is a choice, and you can act on it, and there are people who will support you. It's just finding the right people to talk to. Thank you very much,
0: Gemma. No problem. I love the way Gemma navigated her whole pregnancy and what was thrown at her just because she was 39, 40, and um, as she says, her consultant you know maybe part jokingly said your placenta is 39 and that's i think i find that's the ridiculous nature of rules and regulations and policies and we have to bear in mind that these policies are made to protect us and to protect the caregivers that are around us however when they are taken as gospel, as the word in the book, without looking up and looking at the person sitting in front and using a professional judgment to make an informed call on when these policies make sense and when they are just guidance. It's really important to bear in mind as you go through your pregnancy and the care that you are under i would urge you to read up just like gemma did find yourself empowered with the real facts and ask people who have been on this journey before listen to podcasts such as this read books that will give you a flavor of what you may or not, you may not want to kind of take on board for your own journey. So as Gemma has said towards the end of her interview, this was the right path for her. Making sure that what is the right decision for you and. If that decision is coming from a place of knowledge, information, and knowing that the knowledge and information is evidence-based, is clear, and it's coming from a space of good guidance rather than just hearsay or stuff that people used to say before so make sure that the information that you take on board from everybody you have done your due diligence and have read up as much as you can so that when you are discussing your care with your care provider you are well prepared to understand where they're coming from and then be part of that decision making so I really hope that Gemma's story has inspired you to go out there and find information that is relevant for you. They are there. There are lots and lots of spaces where good information is available now. We're very lucky. On our Mommy Yoga website, we have a, a, a big bank of useful external resources, books, that's a starting point if you are if you know if you if you're kind of struggling to where to start on the NHS website we have a great um, uh, maternity voices partnership in each trust so if you're with Chester there's a Chester maternity voices partnership but if you're with um, any other trust make sure that you engage with them they have the, they can signpost you to the right people they can take your concerns to the, concern, to, the, to the professionals so there is a lot of space for you to look at your care, question it and not simply accept it because it's coming from the care provider and the, just because the care provider has said so So I really hope that Gemma's Empowering Interview has given you that confidence to make your mind up and speak your mind. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss an episode by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. And now, back to the show. This section of the podcast is dedicated to science. We will bring you bite-sized evidence from the world of pregnancy, birth and new babies. In today's episode I would like to speak about skin to skin. We hear a lot about skin to skin uh, in newborns, we hear a lot about how it facilitates bonding, we talk a lot about skin to skin in the Keep Me Close baby wearing yoga class as well. But why is skin to skin so powerful? Well, let's go back to the very beginning of how skin is actually made. How is it formed? Skin is formed from the ectoderm of a cell. So that is the outermost layer of the cell. Interestingly, so is your brain and spinal cord formed from the ectoderm as well. So you can almost say that the skin is like an external brain and your brain and your spinal cord uh, acts as skin on the inside. the author and scientist Ashley Montague described this relationship between the skin and the nervous system like this. Because the brain and the spinal cord develop as an indentation of the skin it can be said that these two components of the nervous system consist of a part of the skin which is buried inside the body or that the skin is the part of the central nervous system which is exposed to the surroundings. The skin is the first of our senses that is developed and by six weeks inside in, it, in utero, the embryo can respond to touch. The eyes, the ears, the smell, taste, they all develop over time and later on. So from this perspective, the skin is our very first sensing organ, the part of our body that begins at the beginning. And this is the reason why when someone's gentle touch touches us any human connection gets deeper. This is why hugs are powerful. Gently touching someone's shoulder and encouraging them, giving them support, letting them know you're on their side is one of the most profound things we as humans do with each other. We, we tend to underestimate the power of skins, purely from this perspective, but just giving you an idea of not only that it is one of the oldest senses, but also it has this connection the very core of our beings, the same material that brains and spinal cords are made of and also more importantly we've got lots of skin like more than two meters in a a, a grown-up adult body and that gives us a lot of information from the external world. For a little baby we don't need the verbal language. We don't need any other information system. We have the most powerful, the most deepest, the most connective sense when we touch a baby. When we keep the baby close, when we hold the baby, and in addition to the other information that we can get from the skin and the body like heart rate like warmth like even increasing that sense of comfort that comes through the pressure of the touch all of those things add layer on layer to the deep connection that we as humans are born. This is the power of touch This is the power of our deepest and our most primal of sense. So don't let anyone tell you you shouldn't pick your baby up. Don't let anyone tell you you should keep your baby far away from you because you're creating this rod for your back or whatever it is that they say. A connection that is impossible to replace happens when you touch and hold and caress and kiss and cuddle your baby don't let any experts take that preciousness away from you thank you for tuning in to the mummy diaries just like everything we do at mummy yoga we want to bring you the voices from our community sprinkled with strong evidence-based information and guidance from the best in the field of pregnancy, birth and new motherhood. If you identify with this pivotal shift away from dogma, myths and received wisdom, then this modern tribe is yours. Come on in. You will find information on all the work that we do on our website at mommyyoga.com. See you in the next episode. Stay subscribed.